Hello and welcome to another episode of our Troll Talks podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Klein, and I am delighted today to be able to connect with Nadia Swearingen-Friesen, class of 1989, I think if I have that correct. That's right. Uh, very excited to have a conversation with Nadia. She, uh, in her work as a, a writer and national speaker, uh, really has a passion for uh, empowering moms to just embrace uh, intentional parenting. And I think as a, a lot of uh, parents are spending maybe a lot more time right now with uh, family and children, I think there's some really good insights and tips that she can provide uh, for some of our alums and friends as we're uh, having some conversation. But before we dive into that, Nadia, let's just do a quick recap of your uh, Trinity education. We talked about um, you graduating uh, in 1989, but uh, you were an elementary education major going through Trinity, correct? That's correct. Yep. And was there something about that that you always knew teaching or working with children was something that you always wanted to do, something you discovered uh, at, at, in college? Yeah, you know, um, it was interesting. I didn't go to Trinity originally for education. I started in psychology. Um, I had some very positive and powerful experiences, uh, especially in the summers that I worked um, during those years. I worked at Camp Manitoba, um, loved that work, loved working with kids, um, starting to, started to feel just more drawn toward education, uh, the importance of that and um, made a switch to elementary education in the middle of my junior year. Um, so it was quite a push there uh, at the end to get things done. But I uh, loved that, loved uh, the program, um, found really good folks there, um, and feel like I've used that degree in so many different ways over the years. How did you end up uh, choosing to go to school at Trinity? Was that uh, the top of your dream list from the very beginning? And so you got your acceptance letter and was jumping up and down. I got in, I got in. Or <laughs> how did Trinity end up on your list? Um, you know, it was a, a strange uh, story. I didn't even honestly know if I was going to go to college. That was something I was still uh, processing through. And in the middle of my junior year, I went to a college fair at then Lincoln Mall, which no longer exists, but I'm from the south su suburbs. And so I went to this college fair and there was this little Trinity Christian College um, booth and this um, guy, Dave, was working there. And I really was quite, I'll be honest, dismissive of it. And he said, you know, what are you thinking about? And I thought psychology, but I really didn't know. And um, so left, went back home, um, got a tremendous amount of mail from Trinity Christian College over that year. Uh, but here, this is really, for me, this is the crux of who Trinity is. The next year, I went back to Lincoln Mall, back to uh, the college fair, and Dave was working, and um, I'd had no personal contact at all with him in a year. And when I walked up, he remembered both my name and my major. And then I thought, maybe I need to read the stuff that's coming in the mail. And uh, a lot of things ha happened from there. Um, but that, it made such an impact on me that somebody um, took the time, put the energy into remembering who I was. Um, that's what made me even look. And so then uh, looked. And um, from that point on, Trinity was really the only place for me. 
So when you reflect back on your days as a student of Trinity, are there any memories that maybe come back uh, to you initially, things that are at the top of your brain when you step back foot on campus and, and think about that time? Um, yeah, there's so many memories. I think one of the coolest things for me, I was a, a public school kid um, from the south suburbs of Chicago, um, primarily from a non-Christian family, had uh, just a little bit of church experience when I uh, showed up at Trinity. And I know sometimes it's easy for people to think, oh, Trinity students are, you know, all the same. This is what Trinity students are. But that for me was not the case at all. Um, I got to know so many different people from different backgrounds um, and that was amazing for me. Um, it was helpful for me. There were obviously people there that had been raised from the church and for me, that was a huge deal because they were able to teach me a lot of things I just didn't know at that point. Um, my roommate for many years um, at Trinity was from Humboldt Park, um, so got to know some of that, and there's just this, uh, this richness in relationship. Um, so that sort of thing left an impact on me, and then there were other things, I know I share this in our uh, memory book that was put together, um, I think for the 30th or the 40th, um, but uh, memories like I lived in uh, Grote, which was north then, and my RDs were Bob and Gail Rice. Um, there was one time on the first floor of Grote, the door was always standing open, um, just standing open. And on occasion, a chipmunk would wander in and just go on the hall. And there was one, um, one day where there was a chipmunk on the hall and a bunch of girls were screaming about this chipmunk. And Bob came out to see what was happening. And we told him, there's a chipmunk, there's a chipmunk. And Bob said, I'll take care of it. And he went down to the end of the hall and um, he chased the chipmunk out of the hall with us yelling, go left, go left, go right, go right, which was pretty great. <laughs> so Bob was always willing to do what we needed <laughs> to do. And, and for those who may be listening and never had Dr. Bob Rice as a professor or, or know him as a person, uh, Professor Emeritus in the history program, mm -hmm. Um, dearly beloved member of the Trinity community um, who uh, is uh, visually impaired and cannot see. So for him to be chasing a chipmunk, uh, that's really what uh, brings back some of the memories, I'm sure, for you and, and your sweet mates. Uh, you know, yeah. side note, uh, Groot Hall, um, you know, uh, still remains standing. Uh, and and I, think, I think the story goes, eventually, um, you know, the it didn't pass fire code uh, for students to live there. So they, they moved the students out and they moved the faculty in. You know, it's not safe for students, but for professors, it's okay. We'll let them stay there. We we're not concerned about their risk, apparently. So yeah, that's always a yeah. We were thing. told very, very clearly, and I won't give the quote because I don't know who all is going to listen to this. But we were told really clearly that should the building catch on fire, get out. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, you have a, some time. You have very little time in Groot Hall. Yes, very, very. We were given an exact number, but it wasn't a lot of time. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. All right, so you uh, wrap up your time at Trinity, and uh, then what happens next uh, for you in, in your journey? Um. I uh, taught at Homewood Christian Academy for a semester. I actually came back to Trinity in the fall of 89. So I graduated in 89, but came back to student teach. Um, that's how we worked out that whole change your major in the middle of your junior year thing. Um, so I came back, student taught, and then that left me available to teach in January. And I didn't really know if I would find something, but um, as it 
turned out I was able to find a first grade position, which was exactly what I wanted. Um, and so I taught at Homewood Christian Academy for a semester. And then um, the next fall, I applied for teaching positions um, and was hired by uh, Highland Christian School, where I taught for six years. And eventually your, uh, your path led back to Trinity, correct? Uh, that was not your final day on Trinity's campus. Share a little bit more about, uh, about that. Yeah, it was um, really interesting. Jenny Carpenter had asked me to serve on a search committee for, um, they were looking to hire a, a residence director and I was teaching at the time. And um, so as I'm going through this work and it was Jenny and Bob Rice and some other just great folk. And as we're going through this, um, this process, I just kept thinking, I, I love everything I'm hearing about this job. And that was a really strange thought because I had what I had trained for. Um, I was married. Um, we had a house. We both had jobs. It was what you think regular life is supposed to be. And, um, but I do remember when I was an RA at Trinity my junior year, I remember thinking, I love this residence life work so much. It's classes that make it hard. Like that's what's really difficult about the work. And um, so as I'm listening to Ginny, I'm realizing that uh, there's something there. I, you don't take classes when you're an RD and there's this awesome built-in ministry and um, so Mark and I, my husband Mark and I started talking about in the future, would we be willing uh, to consider that? And if I'm real honest with you, we just, from that moment, from the time that I searched on, the, on that, or I served on that search committee, uh, we really felt called to that. And so um, when I was in my sixth year of teaching and opening came for South Hall at Trinity and I applied for that and um, got that job and we left our very regular life of two jobs in a house and moved into a building of 250 freshman college students um, and it was fantastic absolutely fantastic yeah what uh, long and, and how many years were you in South Hall as a residence director six six years mm -hmm. and, and I one of the joys of, of the the work that I get to do is just uh, getting to relive moments of uh, alumni uh, experiences uh, and inevitably I've had this multiple times where folks come back to campus and hey is, is, is there anything that you want to kind of see or do and usually at the top of that list is can you get us into South Hall we just want to go visit the place where we lived and uh, my favorite part the moment they walk in the door you hear this yeah Bill smells the same just that yeah. the, the smell of South Hall, whatever that smell is, I'm not totally sure how it gets defined, but there's just something about that that just brings back that flood of memories. And it's just really cool to, to see that happen and to be able to watch that. So yeah, uh, thanks for playing a vital role to so many um, Trinity students and, and now alumni, um, you know, during your time in that regard. And one cool fact too, is I love that you've been able to actually add yet another, you know, layer of Trinity experience in, in your life. You actually have uh, children that have come to Trinity and enrolled as students. So just share about that if you don't mind, just real quick. Yeah. Um, so uh, my oldest actually started at a different institution and um, had originally thought about Trinity, but um, the major that he had chosen at that time didn't uh, allow for Trinity to be an option. And so he was looking to transfer and decided to look at Trinity, transfer to Trinity. And 
um, as it happened, he did that the same year that my second born, um, Benjamin, chose Trinity as um, his college as a freshman. Um, so my boys, who both were born and brought home into South Hall, um, started back at Trinity the exact same fall. Um, so that was a really cool thing. I don't know that any of us would have thought it would go this way. Um, it wasn't our plan. Obviously, I, I was thrilled about it. Um, I love Trinity and um, it's, it's an amazing thing to know that my kids are there, uh, have been there. Um, but for us to see the um, to see the campus from a different perspective. I honestly, I've spent so much time at Trinity as a student and an RD. I didn't know that there was another side, but there really is. Um, and to watch my kids be enfolded into that community in different ways and make connections uh, has just been awesome. Love that for them. Yeah, and I wonder if there's, if, if you were to speak to another a parent or, or really a prospective student who's saying, I'm thinking about another school, regardless of what that school is, but I'm also thinking about Trinity. Uh, what are the things that you have seen in how, um, in, in your, your kid's experience that you would say to that parent or to that student, this is why I think Trinity uh, is, is the path you should go. You will, you will, you will not be sorry for this reason. Um, I really think it comes down to the fact that Trinity students are seen and known. Um, we had a friend who had a daughter come to Trinity and the thing that I kept saying to her is um, there's just not a lot of cracks to slip between. Um, there's somebody there to, to see you and to know you. Um, I love that we have access to things like Chicago. I love that it's a small community, but I continue to be so impressed with the fact that Trinity professors see and know their students. Um, and that I think is a huge gift, it's especially at that time in a student's life where you're going through so many different things. It's a time of transition, a time of decision. And I think um, Trinity students have people to walk alongside them. And I love that for them. Very cool. Yeah, that, I would agree. That's uh, been a part of a lot of students' experience. Uh, sure, having a smaller number of uh, students in the student body can help create that culture, but that's also an intentionality on a part of the faculty and the staff that uh, they want to see have happen. So yeah, thanks for sharing on that. Um, so let's start transitioning maybe a little bit to um, what uh, has keep, been keeping you busy, um, you know, uh, when you're not uh, busy parenting yourself. Uh, you do a lot of work um, helping um, uh, maybe uh, speak to, inspire, and encourage uh, parents and specifically moms and some of the work that you're doing. But why don't I let you put it in your words maybe and share uh, about uh, some of the work that you do. So when I left Trinity, I was doing leadership uh, training and development, which I really loved. And I was a young mom. And um, it was actually a, a time of transition in my own life, having lived in community and lived in ministry as an RD. Um, it was a strange thing to go home and look at these kids. And, and I struggled for a while to understand what does ministry look like when I'm looking at these little faces and I, I can't go out and do things. Um, and God really, I, I just, I feel like gave me the sense that um, ministry isn't always somewhere else, that it, it can be right here and that this work, um, raising kids is its own ministry. And, and I didn't want to discount that. 
um, I wanted to um, really be sure that during these years, it's not forever. You know, like, and I have a big family, but it is not forever. In this time, I wanted to make sure that I was being intentional. And, um, and then I just really started feeling this passion for empowering other moms to look at this differently. It's easy to get caught in the drudgery of it. Um, it's easy to get caught in just how hard the work can be. Um, but what if we just, just changed our uh, perspective a tiny bit? Uh, and so I wanted to do that, help people to adjust that perspective and then give them some very practical tools that might help. And um, I didn't know, even when I started doing this, I had no idea it would be this. Um, I didn't really know what God was doing at all. I just, I just followed and, um, and then the speaking took off and then the writing took off and it has become its its own thing. Um, and, and I love it. I am super passionate about it. It has allowed me to be home with my kids, uh, to love on them, to be here when they leave in the morning, to be here when they come home at night and yet, uh, follow this passion and share that, um, that sort of empowering with, uh, with other families. I think parents, new parents, maybe especially, uh, can think, well, am I supposed to just know what to do in every situation? Or I, sh I should just <laughs> instinctually, God created us to be parents, so we should be able to know how to parent. And, and those two things don't necessarily uh, coexist. It's, it, there's some learning that can happen uh, along the way. So maybe, uh, could you maybe share a couple things that you've noticed as maybe some common struggles that you've uh, observed from uh, moms or parents, uh, specifically maybe questions, common questions that they come to you with that uh, you've been able to kind of help talk through or help them find some ways to really um, uh, improve uh, their parenting, so to speak? Sure. Um, first of all, we're not supposed to know what to do. Um, we're just not, it, they don't come with a book and now you have this child and there's, there's, it's not magic. Um, so it does take a certain amount of reaching out. Yeah, you can read the books, but I got to tell you, being able to talk to other people about what you're struggling with is just so important. We are supposed to, I mean, just as humans, not even as just parents, we're supposed to live in community. Um, we're supposed to be bonded together. We're supposed to help one another. Um, that's how we were created. And so to come into this incredibly important season in our lives and not reach out for that support, um, I think is exceptionally difficult. Um, so I do find that there's a lot of parents that feel, uh, they feel lonely. A lot of moms feel lonely um, and they feel like they're off on their own or they feel like they're not doing it right. And the truth is, we're all going to do it really differently. So when I speak, I'm not trying to get you to do it my way. Um, this is what works for me. And, and I'm not doing it perfectly. I make mistakes all the time. Um, but the, the bottom line is this with my kids and my personality and my husband's personality, how we've gone about this fits us. Um, but there are things I think that can make a difference and being intentional about how you want to parent or knowing why you're choosing to do what you're doing to me is the biggest question you can ask because if you can ask yourself okay what what do we most believe in um then all the other decisions fall under that if you don't know what that thing is it's really hard to choose what your decisions are 
So in my family, if we say our most important things are faith and education, then it's easy for us to say, well, there's no room for this, or this definitely moves up in our priority list because it falls under that. So we, we have to know um, what sort of those core values of our individual families are. I think right now, the questions, obviously, <laughs> there's a lot of people struggling right now because we're all holed up in our houses. Um, and, and I agree with you, you mentioned earlier, um, this might be the longest we've ever been with our family. We've talked about that with our kids. All six of us are home. Um, and we said we have not had this much time together since Noah was five years old and he's 23. Um, once school started, schedules change. And so how do we manage this time? Um, and it's the same as we would manage uh, summer, maybe. This is more extreme, but how do we, how do we coexist together? Um, and I know there's parents, I've been speaking to a lot of groups during this uh, quarantine, and I know there's parents that are really struggling with that. And one of the things that I've been encouraging uh, parents to do is try to make a plan um, the night before. If you can make a plan for what tomorrow looks like, then you kind of feel like, hey, I know where I'm going. I know where we're headed. Um, but we can't plan out the whole day because stuff happens. Uh, stuff is just always going to happen. Um, some days are good, some days are bad. In our family, we talked about that on, on Saturday. It was a rough day here. And that's gonna happen for all of us. We're gonna have bad days. But part of what we said was we needed to really encourage one another and say, this is not a rough quarantine. This is a rough day. And, and let's keep it in perspective and figure out how to make a better plan moving forward. But it takes a plan. If you have young kids at home, um, they have to move and they have to be outside. And those two things will make a world of difference in how the time in the house goes. They have to move and they have to play outside. Um, they have to get that energy out. Having them sit still, I know there's a lot of parents that will turn to technology and that's totally understandable. But when the tablet gets put down, the energy is still there. Um, but there's a lot of other things, uh, an irritability that can come from that. So rather than start with the tablet or start with the technology, I think we need to start with the activity and the moving around and the connecting. And then have the technology be the thing we do last. Um, and obviously it's a different thing with school when we are having to turn to technology for school. And I have actually a, a whole talk on technology that focuses on the um, current research and what it's saying about technology. And that's easily outside of the current quarantine. Um, one of the things that I hear from parents the most is how do I, how do I manage this whole technology thing? Um, and I think that's an important, an important question for parents to ask at this time. Yeah, and so I will definitely uh, share maybe your, your website and a link so folks can maybe uh, follow up some more on that talk. But in short summary, is there a link between technology and some of the outcomes that you're seeing? Or, or what's maybe a, a quick summary you could say about the, the impact of technology on um, younger children at, at, at those, some of those influential ages? I think one of the things that I'm finding research saying, especially for young kids, is because if you, if you think about the number of hours in the day is finite. Um, so if we're pushing the technology in for a portion of that day, what got pushed out? Um, I think that's a, a really fine place to start. And 
I think what the cost ends up being is things like fine motor control, um, early uh, exposure to, to reading, um, to letter sounds, to shapes, to colors, to being able to write my name, those sorts of things educators are finding um, are less common. Um, that body of knowledge is less common because that's often the thing that got pushed out. And sometimes parents will say, oh, but you know, they can write on the screen, you know, on a tablet. Um, but part of what we know for sure is that that um, interaction with the tablet, cold, smooth, hard, um, that isn't the same as say gripping a pencil and the texture of a paper or a coloring book. So we need to be aware of um, those things that are missing, the fine motor control, the gross motor control. Those are the things that have gotten pushed out with the prevalence of technology. So we want to put those things in first. Um, those are the biggest, I, I would say for the very young, um, that's the biggest thing. Can we still stack blocks? Um, you know, the playing with the Cheerio for a, a wee little one, um, we think, oh, that's no big deal. Um, but it turns out it was, and, uh, and we need to make room for that. Yeah. And I think as a, just speaking from my own experience as a parent um, with three kids in the home, it is, first off, there are, we all have days where it's a technology day. <laughs> we maybe just yeah, need totally. to allow our kids to have a little bit more technology than they normally would. I grew up on the 8-bit Nintendo. You know, my kids are asking to do the PlayStation or to, to play on a device. Um, and there are days where sometimes you just need some separation. As a yeah. parent, though, um, by by opting in to saying, I want to become a parent, I want to bring a child into this world, you, it is going to require sacrifice. And some of that sacrifice is going to be uh, not being able to do some of the things that you want to do, which in order to do that might mean they have to be on technology. So in other words, I need to sacrifice some of the things that I want to do in order right. to engage with my children so that they can develop some of those skills and not just put them on a device which might uh, capture their attention very concretely for an amount of time. So it, it's a lot of work uh, for the parents and it is sacrifice. It's it very it much, it, it really is, but that's what we're called to do as parents and, and, and really uh, to model ourselves after um, you know, our God and, and after uh, the way Jesus uh, sacrificed for us is to, to, to lay that down. So. Yeah, totally. I couldn't, I could not agree more. And you know, the thing is we, I agree with you. There's going to be days where we say <laughs> we're done, we're cooked enough, <laughs> go do what you got to yeah. do. Yep. But I think part of what's happened is we, we've gone from this place where we're using technology for a break um, to expecting to have a lifestyle of such. And there's just no way to live with a whole bunch of small humans and have it be quiet or predictable. Um, so we, ha we have to make room for that. It's okay to use technology for a break, but set a timer. Um, those things really go a long way. And you really want to um, have these memories with your kids and you want them to have memories with you. And, and it takes a certain level of intentionality and yeah, sometimes sacrifice. Yeah. Um, often sacrificed to do that. Yeah. So you said your oldest is 23 years old. Um, 
some right now might be listening to this with a three-year-old. Um, yeah. Definitely some things have changed uh, in the last 20 years that have impacted parenting, but some things are the same regardless of where you live and regardless of um, you know when uh, a child is born. What are maybe some uh, some some tangible um, parenting skills or uh, parenting uh, advice that you've seen in your years? Like things have changed, but I'm still saying some of these same things that I said 20 years ago to parents when they'd ask me questions about things. Um, I think it is incredibly important for parents to know that they matter. And, and I don't think that's ever going to change. Um, and, and I'm glad for that. We have said out loud to our kids on many occasions, you have parents for a reason. Um, your children, my children, need uh, to be seen, to be important, uh, to be helped and encouraged, um, to be taught, to be disciplined. Um, all of those things actually matter. We cannot just go through this day with the goal of getting through the day. If we find ourselves in that sort of mindset, um, it's time for help. We need to get help. Um, I think kids need to play. They need to run and be loud and um, be creative. And those things aren't going to change. And they can't happen on screen. Um, those are things that need to happen in the real world. Um, and I also think it's incredibly important for us to know the value of family, um, the value of that connection, of creating intentionally a place for our kids to land and be. Um, I, I just don't see that ever being any different. And, and I'm thankful for that. I, I absolutely love um, my little family and, and what we've built together. It's not perfect. Um, we're not always perfect, but we have uh, something here that is, it's the whole world to me. Yeah, you've got to lower the bar in terms of your expectations for your own achievement. Um, I think <laughs> one of the best um, uh, pieces of advice I ever got or, or you know, kind of what influenced, there, there's a book I read on kind of gospel-centered parenting. I, I forget the author right now, but kind of took a perspective of, look, you are a fallen sinful human being yes. trying to raise another fallen sinful human being who has not yet matured and doesn't understand the ways of life in general let alone how you want them to think as a, 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 with a christian perspective and so giving yourself the grace to be okay with failure and then to reach yeah. out and like you said talk to someone about it and uh work through it uh, and whether that's your spouse whether that's another family member whether it's uh, someone who's a professional um, and, and helps um, uh, in, in the area of psychology or just, uh, again, parenting yeah. advice, those, all those things are, are incredible. So yeah, yeah um, great. let me transition a little bit to some, some tangible things. You've got a, a product that you've kind of talked about with some uh, uh, families and parents that has been helpful um, and you, you call it sticks. Can you share a little bit about uh, sticks, kind of what it does and how it can actually be uh, helpful for some parents who are maybe trying to navigate some waters? Absolutely. Uh, so um, I wrote the book Sticks, I think it was five years ago. It's available on Amazon. Um, if you just Google Sticks Nadia on Amazon, that'll come up. Um, it was not ever supposed to be a book, not ever supposed to be a talk. Um, it was a desperate effort to save my family. We had kind of lost our way and we had 
a whole bunch of really little kids and uh, we were very much living in survival mode. When you live in survival mode, you really take, um, it, your, your energy is taken in, in a different way and the goals that you have for your family can fall away. And that's totally what happened to us. And so um, when we found that out, and that story is in the book, um, we found out that we had really lost our way. We regrouped, it took a while, and we created this system that we use with our kids to help them to know what they need to do in the day, but it's not uh, chores. It could be, you're gonna connect with a sibling, you're gonna play outside, you're gonna read a book, yeah, you're gonna also play in the family room, um, but it's adaptable to kids starting at two years old, and what it helps to do is um, reduce the stress in the home, um, I personally think this is so important for um, even during this quarantine, but always in parenting, um, but to reduce the stress in the home, to help kids to internalize the things that we teach them. You know, if you find yourself as a, as a parent repeating the same thing, and it's sort of a crazy thing, like, we're going to go out, you need to go put on shoes. Like, why do we ever say that twice? Because our children know we need shoes if we're going out. And yet, we continue to repeat these things. And every time you repeat it, you sort of do the slow burn. Like, why do I have to keep saying You You literally don't have to keep saying it. Um, and the fact that you do um, is, is almost taking away from your kids the opportunity to know these things because they know you're going to tell them. Um, so what if we taught them and then didn't walk around behind the micromanaging every little thing? And what if in that they still knew what to do and did it? Um, so the, the Sticks book and the Sticks talk uh, helps parents to know how do we put this in, in, uh, into practice so that we can reduce the stress in our, in our home, improve discipline so that our kids start to rein in their own behavior, um, and then help our home to just run more smoothly. Um, it was, like I said, for us, it was a game changer, um, hands down, but there's people all over the country now who do it with their kids. So, yeah. And like you said, it, it came out of desperation. It really was something that, uh, you, you just create and every, every parent can probably talk about something that they use inside their home, um, that came out of this wasn't working. So I had to shift yeah. and this worked for me and for my family. And, and that's really ultimately what you're doing in your job is sharing things that have worked, things that you've learned through your own uh, journey, as well as I'm sure gotten some input and feedback from, from others as well. So yeah, I definitely, I'll post a link on, on this as well to the, the sticks that we, we've tried it in our household and it was actually really helpful for our kids just to understand and, and know what to do throughout the day. We found it really, really helpful. Oh, um, yeah. Um, so there are some families right now, um, you know, maybe listening to this, that they are, um, you know, the, the things have shifted greatly with this quarantine. Maybe both of them are still working from home. Neither of them has an elementary education degree. They were sending the kids to school for that reason because they didn't trust themselves. But now they are in a position where they've got to uh, teach. They're also trying to put in their work. Maybe some of them are um, not working from home, they are in the medical field or in another essential uh, business that needs to go in. Um, they're trying to juggle all this stuff. Um, are there any tips or advice or just uh, words um, that you might offer uh, to some of those in, in that uh, situation in terms of just how to uh, survive or, or manage uh, this, this time right now? Sure. Um, 
you know, last week, this might be helpful for folks that are listening, last week on my author page on Facebook, so it would be my name, but it would say author, not the personal page, but on the author page, there is um, a series of posts that talk about this very thing. How do we manage um, schooling our kids at home if it's not, if it isn't your thing and you, you know, you're new to that? Um, how, do, how do we do that? And what are the details that are, are necessary? So some folks might, if they're struggling with that, might really benefit from popping over to that page on Facebook and then um, looking at those posts. Um, one of the things that I think we have to negotiate with our kids during this time is just how are we going to handle those uh, interruptions. You have a child who's working on school over here, but mom's over here working on work. Um, if the child has a question, what are we going to do? And I think one of the things that parents need to do is set up a process for that. Um, so talk with your child. If you're stuck on a thing, here's going to be your process. You're going to reread the directions. That's going to be the first thing. If there's a sibling around, you're going to ask a sibling. That's the second thing. The third thing is going to be to talk to mom, but you're not going to get an instant answer. So what's gonna be the signal for mom? Is the paper gonna get set down on mom's desk? Is there gonna be an item on mom's desk that signals that when she can take a break, she's gonna go and help? And then what will the child do during that, that break? Um, those sorts of processes, being able to think through it, especially now that we've been at this for a while, I think it's really important for us as parents to say, okay, let's problem solve. Here's the parts of this that are going really well. And even to say to our kids, you are knocking it out of the park in this area, in this area. You're so, I'm so pleased with what you're doing. Um, what are the things that we're struggling with? And to have a family meeting about that. Here are the things that are hard. Um, and what can we do to fix those things? And, and meet about that and talk about that. But I think finding a way to handle those interruptions and those questions is really important. The other thing that I think is really important is um, there's this misconception among a lot of parents, I think, that kids go into school, sit calmly and quietly in the classroom for six hours, and then come home. And that's just not the way school works. So if you have a child who is unable to sit for six hours at home, <laughs> they don't do that anywhere. That's totally fine. Um, teachers know that kids have to move around and they have to have breaks and they go to recess and they go to gym. So as you're setting up the day, build in those breaks. You're going to do math, and then you're going to go play outside for half an hour. Then you're going to come inside, and you're going to do whatever, reading, and then you're going to go and do, you know, you're going to color for 15 minutes or whatever it is. But set it up so that they're having these breaks and they're leaving this sitting down, you know, wherever you have them doing their, their schooling, and they're going and doing something else entirely. So I think those things, if we can do those two things, um, a lot of frustrations will be minimized. Yeah, and maybe one more kind of similar kind of statement to that. We have an opportunity as parents now uh, with the amount of time we're spending with our kids, not only to have an influence on them educationally, but spiritually as well. Um, I think that was one of the, in the first couple of days, it kind of had this kind of, you know, whack in the face, like, oh my goodness. Um, God just gave me a ton of time to spend with my kids to help uh, them think about their faith in addition to uh, some of the other things that we can do. Uh, have you found any resources or have you uh, used any resources in the past for uh, families that um, can help them teach their children about a Christian faith while they're at home? Right now, if people have 
um, normally been taking their kids to Sunday school or Wednesday night church or youth mm. group or Awana programs, those things aren't happening uh, in large yeah. part. So what are maybe some ways that parents can help their children uh, continue to grow in their, in their faith and in their knowledge? Yeah, um, when we were residence directors, um, we talked about programming in two ways. Um, so we programmed, at that time, the RDs and the RAs did, I don't know, 85% of the programming on campus. And um, we talked about programming as something that was active, we're going to do this thing, and something that was passive. Um, they're going to see it, experience it, but we're not pressing it on anybody. Um, and I think about that in terms of how we approach um, a lot of different things in our house. So how that might um, connect to what you're asking. In the hallway um, upstairs near our bedrooms, we have a giant whiteboard. And um, I'll post verses, questions, um, those sorts of things on that whiteboard. So this is passive programming. Um, a passive way my kids are interacting with that on their own um, and we might call them back to that at dinner hey did anyone look at the whiteboard did you have thoughts on that um, my kids are much older but even when they were little we would do that sort of thing send them a message share a verse something that pertains to this day um, I think the other thing is we're all having church at home um, we actually sat in our church parking lot for Easter with a handful of other folks and so thankful for that. Um, but mainly we're listening to church. And I think one of the things we need to be able to do with our kids is to, to talk about that, to reflect on that. Because as we go back to church, that impact will continue. They're understanding church in a different way. I think it's a cool thing right now that church is... Um, succinct it's the music it's the sermon um, it's not sacraments but what a cool time for us to talk with our kids about what are the things we can't do and what do those things actually mean um, having times of devotions because we have the time um, I think is really important with our kids with little ones and not, you know what honestly even bigger ones I love the Jesus storybook book um, if parents who have especially younger kids don't have that you should just order it it tells the story of scripture in such a, a cool way. Um, we used that a lot with our kids when they were growing up. Reading through scripture and stories or the Easter story as we are in Easter right now, um, using that book is just, it's, it's cool stuff. Um, and I think the other thing we need to do is share with our kids some of what our own spiritual experiences are within reason. Um, so that they can see that this is something that we're still growing. I'm still growing. I'm still working on this. I think those conversations go a really, a really long way. One other thing, um, I think being able to pray together as a family is huge. And right now, there's just so much to pray for. Um, with our country in this weird way, we have dear friends who have small businesses. Um, those things weigh on us. Um, grandmas and grandpas being safe that weighs on us we want to to together as a family pray for those things yeah great word thanks for sharing any any final thoughts or comments things that maybe we haven't had a chance to touch on that you might want to share uh, with anyone who's listening um about the business and trinity any of it <laughs> any, anything that we, we haven't covered that you think is just muy importante that we cover here yeah, if, uh, if my RAs are listening, 
um, love you, miss you. Um, we honestly just, I think, are consistently reminded about how um, rich our life is because of the time we've spent at Trinity. Um, we didn't know when we became RDs what would, what would come of that. It's such a weird life um, and so important in our family history. Um, our kids have been impacted by that. Uh, they all feel in some way a tie to Trinity, whether they've attended there. Two of our kids have never lived there. They feel a little sad about that. Um, but it, it has been um, sort of this wonderful thing that has flowed through our family, changed our family history, um, impacted that in significant ways. And we're just honestly so, so thankful um, for the time that we spent there. Very cool. Well, thanks for sharing. If folks want to see more about the work that you're doing, um, I'll post a link here on the podcast, but uh, Nadia SwearEngineFreezing.com, uh, right? You said also on Facebook, um, mm -hmm. and we'll provide a link to that as well. Uh, on there. So thank you so much, Nadia, for spending some time with us today. Thank you for the work that you continue to do to make a difference in the lives of parents and, and moms uh, around the area and around the globe. We appreciate you and the work you're doing. Thanks. It was good to talk to you. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Troll Talks, a part of the Troll Nation Network. If you or someone you know wants to make a difference in the lives of current, former, or prospective students at Trinity Christian College, be sure to visit our website at trnty.edu slash tnn. That's T-R-N-T-Y dot E-D-U slash T-N-N. Have an idea for a future Troll Talks episode that would benefit the Trinity community? Send us an email at alumni at T-R-N-T-Y dot E-D-U. That's alumni at T-R-N-T-Y dot E-D-U.